Hi, everybody. This is Mike Siegel. Thank you for listening to the Travel Tales podcast. If you want to help us out and you're a fan of the show, it doesn't cost you anything to go to iTunes and uh, give us a good rating. And that will help people find the show and, uh, you know, kind of boost our presence a little more. If you want to write me, go to mike at traveltalespodcast.com. You can also write me at mike at funnymike.com, which is my other website. And you can follow us on Twitter at TravelTalesPod on Twitter. But uh, right now, this uh, episode you're going to hear is uh, recorded, was recorded in Budapest, Hungary, back in October when I was traveling through. Again, levels and the audio quality is not as good as I'd like it because I brought a little handheld digital recorder. So a little warning about that ahead of time. But I uh, tried to adjust the levels the best I could for a uh, broadcast. Can I call it a broadcast? Sure. Why not? Um, but Jose Reis Santos is uh, the uh, guest tonight. And he was a really interesting guy. And uh, never met him before, the interview. Haven't seen him since. But uh, it's uh, meeting people like Jose along the way is uh, what makes trips really, really interesting to me. And um, it was a pleasure meeting him. I was enlightened. He was generous with his booze, which uh, (laughs) you can hear me talking slower and more uh, carefully throughout the podcast. And uh, just a really interesting guy. So I hope you enjoy the episode and uh, keep listening. We'll have new episodes every week. All right. Please enjoy Jose Rich Santos. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world. And in every port, I own a heart, at least one lovely... Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I am in the apartment of one Jose... Reich Santos. Reich, Reich Santos. Reich Santos. Santos. Igan, Igan. Portuguese. Portuguese, exactly. Nice. Uh, that's, I know that because of the Jose. Well, yeah. It's not Jose. Uh, no, it's not. It's Jose. It's Another from Jose Mourinho, well, the actually, soccer coach. Actually, it's Jose. Jose. Yes, but everything which is not Jose, it's already close enough. <laughs> so I think we take from it. That's all right. <laughs> okay, you are Portuguese. You've been living here for how long? In Budapest. We are, I, I have to set up the scenery yeah, here. Set up, yeah. We are in Budapest. I have met you maybe 10 minutes ago exactly. through a friend of a friend, exactly. through another friend who I have not met, who is a friend of another friend of mine. Oh, so you don't know why? This is why I love... All right. I, I, I talked to Michael over the phone, who is our mutual friend. That's cool. He is a friend of my friend, Dan Rosen, who did my show. Okay. And uh, here we are. All right, cool. And well, so now I'm in Budapest, in your apartment. Well, actually, you're in Pest, if you want to be more precise. Okay, we are in Pest. Yes, yes, we are in Pest. We're so for Buddha. people who don't know, there's Buda, and then there's Pest. Exactly, exactly. Now, Pest is uh, the cooler part of town, am I right? Well, yeah, it's like they call it, well, first of all, just the name Pest should give you a hint <laughs> where you are. So in that sense, it's true. And it's the newer part, it's the cooler part, it's the um, it's where the pubs and the cultural life, I think, right. exists. And it's where all the foreign community is. So actually, one of the good things, I mean, okay, you're recording, I shouldn't probably say this, but since <laughs> uh, you, you introduce yourself as a comedian, and please listen to this, it's sarcastic, it's, uh, well, in, in Buddha, there's Hungarians. 
And uh, in that sense, uh, it's uh, it's more cosmopolitan. Yes, let's put it in. You don't want to be around the Hungarians well, not, in their own they're, city. They're actually, they are very cool guys, you know. But I mean, <laughs> they have this little problem: is that they actually speak Hungarian. Uh, yeah. Which is this language? It's like Basque, you know. Like they so don't have everything according to you know, like related to anything. Yes, so I was reading the book before I came here, and they said because I went from Prague mm-hmm. over to Poland, to Krakow, and now I'm here. But the guidebook said, you know, if you, if you couldn't understand Czech or Polish, forget about Hungarian. Hungarian yeah, is no, it's very difficult. They have this kind of a mythologic story, you know, like some people connect them to the Huns. The Huns. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of a lost tribes, you know, like from the steppes of, 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 of Asia and that kind of stuff. What they actually celebrated, but of course, this is like a, this, this fabrication of, of, of 19th century Romantism and whatnot, is the, the arrival of the Magyar tribes to the lands of Hungary. And they, they celebrated this, they, they said that they arrived here in 998, which in, in, in Pest, when they built up Pest, they, 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 they did the Hero Square. The Hero Square. Yeah, have you been to yeah. the Hero Square? I, I just got here two hours ago. Two hours ago? All yes. Right, so when tomorrow you go to the You were the first square? person I've met here in town. Really? Yes. God, man, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. What's wrong with you, man? What's so bad? Well, uh, well at least you have balls. Well, I mean, look, uh, let me get the palinka at least, man. It's, what are you getting? No, this is a palinka. Oh, the special liquor. Yeah, they have this palinka. 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 Okay, now he's uh, going off into the kitchen. To bring the uh, special liquor, liquor, Palinka. I've had a few beers tonight. We watched the Hungary, I watched the Hungary-Finland European qualifying match, which was a snooze, but the Sweden, what was it? Sweden beat uh, Holland. That was a very good match. And you must forgive Jose, he's in kind of a foul mood. Portugal yeah, we lost, lost. In Denmark. In Denmark, yeah, it was a tough night. Tough night for Joseph. <laughs> I mean, we don't. I mean, but uh, this is going to be recorded for an American audience, you right? Any other worldwide? You well, can... yes, but let's assume that it's an American audience. So, what do they know about f- football or soccer anyway? <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, I'm a good representative. I, I can follow. Tell you that. I mean, I am here to represent. In these ten minutes that I just met you, I realized that you're from Chicago, yeah? Yes. So the Bears were. Uh, ah, they the lost Bears. Yesterday. Yeah, they, they lost, lost yesterday yeah, against I, the Lions. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. That's nothing new. Sure. What now? What is our toast? Well, Egeshegere. Egeshegere. Yeah, which means cheers in Hungarian. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of syllables to well, say no, cheers. No, 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 no. You have to look at it. I have this kind of uh, I don't know this logic. I don't know if you ever look at things like that. I think that you can say something about the level of alcoholness in the people, the way that they cheer. Yeah. So, for instance, you go to the to the French guys and they go like, salut, chin, like chin, you know, chin. Like, so posh, so very, you know, like <laughs> they go to the English cheers, which is like. I mean, yeah. and then you go to the Nasdravis, then you can start, you can see the alcohol coming in flowing, <laughs> yeah. yeah? So when you go to the Egeshegele, you really can, like, imagine that these people here, these guys here, they really drink. Egeshegele. Egeshegele. Okay. This is a honey and peach palinka, which is nice as well. Oh, holy moly. Now, this is one of the... Actually, it's... Oh, that's smooth. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they they have this debate because if if it has honey, the palinka it's not truly a palinka. If so it has honey in it, it's it not has a... honey. So it's like the junior palinka, or it's kind of a women's palinka, or you know, like gay palinka. In <laughs> so sense. I'm drinking the women's palinka. Yeah, yeah, you're drinking like the gay version. So it's not but... like for real <laughs> men, you know. But what is the uh, 
Palika, what does it derive from? Is it is it's not a grape or is it a, Yeah, it's with grapes. It's like Uzo it's like the Uzo in Greece. Well, yeah, it's like the, the Raki, for instance, that you have in the Balkans as well. Okay. Raki. And then they put um, how do you say this? Um, fruits inside. Okay. And this is with honey, this I think is with plum or whatnot. Oh yeah, a purple one here with plum. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very nice as well. And I like to put them in the freezer because they actually look uh, I don't know, they, they felt nicer. It's very good. Like this kind of, yeah, but it's like the brand. But Palinka, it's yeah. strong. Yeah, keeps, yeah, yeah. Keeps you, uh, like keeps you awake. Thirty-five or forty percent. Yeah, this is forty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you have you can have like some of this homegrown and it's like homemade stuff and oh, it's yeah. like 60, Moon 70. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you get so mm. How does a uh, Portuguese man? Are you from Lisbon? Mm-mm. You are from Lisbon. Born and raised. Yeah. Okay. Now, how uh, Benfica or? Uh, Oh, I just insulted Sporting. No, 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 you're not insulting me. I'm going to display you. <laughs> he got up and left. Are you going to come back? Oh, you got the scarf. There you go. I got two. I get one for you, so you can be like a customer. <laughs> and I got my personal one. Sporting uh, Benfica. Yes. Totally. Come on. Oh, I love this. I feel good. No, it is. You should. It's a nice scarf. You should. You should. You should. This is what makes uh, my, my country proud, actually. Yes. Do they ever come here and play? Well, no, again, we're talking about Hungary. Oh, that's they right. They never make really it. have, yeah. like, football anymore, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I went to the game yesterday. I went to see, actually, Hungary against um, Sweden. You went to a game? Yeah, I went to the football pitch here. Yeah, yeah, I went to the game. There was, like, not this one. Uh, no, no, no. Today they played against Finland. Actually. Today they played was Finland. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the score, actually. But the last game... Zero, uh, zero. zero. It was zero. horrible. Yeah, it was yeah, the most yeah. boring game I've seen yeah, in a while. It's like, yeah, it's, it's Hungary playing, yeah. <laughs> Anyway. What happened to them? No. They had the great player uh, Puskas. Yeah, but it's back in the 60s, yeah? Yeah, that was, 50s, yeah, 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 yeah. 60s. And then they have like this kind of, uh, I don't know, okay, again, I mean, uh, okay, it's an American audience or worldwide. No, it's for me. It's just me, you and me talking. Yeah, I, I no, know. Right, right, right. Because, I mean, they, they had this thing called like the, the 1956, like Soviet invasion and whatnot. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I read about it in the news. You, you remember that? The Soviets like, came yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. The Soviet comes around. So, like, I mean, half like the population, not half the population. But a lot of people left. And so actually that team, you know, like the, actually Puskas played for Spain. Real Madrid. In the, Madrid. Cup, in the World Cup of Mexico. In Mexico, in Chile. No. In yeah, Chile yeah, in 62. Yeah. yeah, Puskas played for the... Played for Spain? Team. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He naturalized it, you know, and he got like a new nationality and he played for Spain afterwards. Mm. Yeah, so like a lot of these guys left in that stuff. And there's another, there's another actually a very interesting phenomenon, not just in Hungary, but here in the East. Which is that the transition process from this uh, from the Soviet rule or the communist rule into the, the democracy actually destroyed some of the football, you know, like um, media right. uh, milieus in that sense. You know, like you got a, lo- uh, uh, a lot of these new oligarchic guys, you know, like connected with the mafia business and radical kind yeah. of stuff. You know, like buying clubs and whatnot. So you can actually see here the club. I mean, all the traditional clubs with more than a hundred years, they are either bankrupt, second leagues, and that kind of stuff. And you got a lot of these new clubs coming in with no tradition whatsoever, no popular, you know, like implementation, no popular right. support. But some, you know, like, some rich Russian buys them, and then all of a sudden they can yeah. buy all the yeah, good yeah, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, like Abramovich, you know, like yeah. from, from, you know, <laughs> Chelsea, here, you know, yeah, exactly, you know, like just buying clubs and trying to make some money out of it. And I think it's kind of destroying a little bit the, you know, like the sense of football. Although people say, you know, that the Hungarian guys they actually like football. They are crazy about football and whatnot. But right. So they don't have teams to play. So I'm, I'm still trying. I'm still. They have a TV. Here. They can watch the other teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's so true. how how does a, a man from Lisbon, Portugal, find himself in Budapest? How? Why are you here? Well, are you working? Technically, yes. I'm working as a guest research fellow in the Central European University. 
which is you're a research uh, fellow in the Central yeah, European Euro- yeah, University, based yeah. here in Budapest, which is based in Budapest. Okay, it's the the George Soros University, if you want to. George Soros. Yeah. Oh, the, like the, the billionaire. Yeah, yeah, he's the patron of the university. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it's just kind of an Ivy League, if you like, uh, university here. It's very well, you know, like uh, prestigious in the, in Europe. Uh, it's totally Americanized in that sense. Um, and uh, for what the research that I do, I work in political science and comparative history. It's one of the best that you can have it in Europe. And my, my little farm, my little field of research is a comparative authoritarianism, or more precisely... Comparative authoritarianism. Yeah, yeah. Or more precisely... More uh, precisely. Yes, yes. Electoral authoritarianism. Electoral authoritarianism. In fascist era. In the fascist era. Exactly. So you're talking about between 19... in, in the 30s. But more so you're saying... In 31, 35. So this is about how governments elect fascists. No, 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 no. This is about, like, actually go- governments or political regimes who are not fascists, are authoritarians, uh-huh. but they promote electoral elections yeah, in the fascist uh, period. So you're doing your fellow on yeah, electoral fascism. As well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm working in that, uh, in that uh, period, in that area. And how long have you been in Budapest? Uh, for one year now. One year now? Yeah. You went from Lisbon to here? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I live, in, you know, I live in New York, I live in Brussels. In, you lived in uh, New York? Yeah. Where in New York? Well, in 42nd and 2nd, to the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're right in the middle of it. Well, yeah. I was I in was... Brooklyn when I lived there. No, but I mean, I, I was squatting because, I mean, a friend of mine, you know, used to work for Pricewaterhouse there. And, uh, well, actually, I, I went there to try to have another thesis. And I was looking for a job when the, when the 9-11 happened. Oh, so, you were there during 9-11? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was very strange. What do you remember? I remember, I mean, I remember that uh, I was, I mean, it was funny because, I mean, I was, again, I was looking for a job. I have done this kind of, uh, um, you know, like this bartender course. Yeah, I, I was I was writing also another thesis back then. I was trying to find out how the, the, the Portuguese market was sold cross time in the, in the U.S. So imagine, uh, in the 1920s, you say, like, uh, go to Italy uh, or go to Rome, see the Colosseum. Go to Lisbon, see what? That was like my starting question. Right. So I moved to New York. I had a friend there, you know, like, so we were like good friends. And um, I was living with him. I was looking for a job. I did this bartender course so I can have access to jobs before they were like on the Village Voice and whatnot. And then uh, 9-11 happened. You know, it was, and I remember it was like 9 a.m. I had this, uh, this well, this friend, she was like, I don't know, a little bit on to me to put it. Okay. Like this. You want to call her a friend? That's, well, I'm okay with that. She was a friend. She, I was never like really into her, but she was a little <laughs> bit more into me. And I remember that she was like calling me at 9 a.m. I was like, listen, girl, I mean, don't take me wrong. I mean, get a life, you know. She like, was I, calling you at 9 a.m.? 9 a.m. She was waking You sure she up. wasn't rolling over and no, no, nudging no, no, you? No, no, okay. no, 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 because I mean, I was waking up with my friend because I was living in his apartment. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. And uh, so that was the thing, you know, like, so she was calling me at 9 a.m. I was like, listen, girl, I mean, don't take me wrong, you know, like, get a life, you know, like, call me after lunch, let's go for a coffee or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, sleeping over, I mean, come on, I mean, I was pitching to go, it's kind of a bartender thing. Right. You know? So, you know, and who wakes up at 9 a.m. if you're looking for working bars? And so she calls me, like, you know, like, 20 minutes later, she's like, yeah, man, get up to the bed, get up to the bed, you know, like, turn the TV on, you know, like, we've been attacked, you know, with all this panic. I was like, what the hell is she talking about? You know, I turn the TV and this is like, you know, like 40 seconds and second. We have like this really cool view on the, over uh, the Chrysler building. And so I remember like turning the TV, you know, like seeing all the flames and stuff, looking at the window, looking at downtown, seeing all the flames and stuff, looking at the TV, seeing all the flames and stuff, like, what the fuck? You know, and then it was just like the rest, you know, like went to the shower, went down, you know, like to the streets because it was like the safe place to be, like go to the streets because you, you don't know, you know, like 42nd Tudor City is just like yeah. ju- just behind the UN, you know, like all over like Midtown. Didn't know what was going to happen. 
And actually, funny enough, I went to get that friend of mine from her office because she was like a lawyer, corporate lawyer as well. And they, they, were, they, they wanted them to keep working. <laughs> I was like, well, you know what? Tell your bosses to just like go right. to some place. They kept know? working. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They were keeping them working till like 2, 2 p.m. or so. Wow. Yeah. And we just like hit the streets. And it was just like literally like in the movies, you know, like with these millions of, you know, like people in the streets, people lost, just trying to call friends, put people together and yeah. try to get some info until Bush addressed the nation, yeah. <laughs> you know, at like 10 p.m. or whatnot. Did your friends from Portugal call you and try to... Ask yeah, what's yeah, happening yeah, there yeah, and yeah, see if you were okay. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They did, but I mean, they never managed to to call me and, and stuff because, like, uh, there was these gems in the in, in yeah, the yeah, yeah. and whatnot. My cousin lived there, and she was on the platform mm. at the uh, World Trade Center in the subway. Really? She lived in Jersey City. Oh God! She was on the platform when the first plane hit, and, and they made everybody come yeah. up out of the subway. But did she thought follow? it was just when they said they just told her, "Oh, there was just a." plane hit the they just thought oh maybe a little tiny plane yeah, 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 yeah. but then when the second one hit that's when they knew this was yeah. a person yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. freaked out you yeah. know and, and then she felt it like, well she uh, she saw people jumping from the building really oh, and like uh, she had to walk all the way up to midtown yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. she lost her phone so we couldn't yeah. get a hold of her so it was very frightening it was just but, crazy Crazy, crazy, crazy. But again, for me, the, the, the most impressive like memory that I have is the reaction that the city had. Because talking about one of the most impersonal cities in the world, and I totally remember, I was, I mean, I was very into it. And one of the things was these public debates that they had, like in Union Square, in Washington Square, and whatnot. You know, just and I remember like being there and saying, "Listen, these guys, they are not the Muslims. These are Al Qaeda. You know, like these are, you know, like the Taliban guys." These are they actually they exist because you give them the money and the weapons for their existence and stuff. <laughs> So I was, I was giving, you know, like uh, intervening, if you like, in his public discourse, uh, in his public debates in, in, in one hand. And then the other was like this, uh, if you like, I mean, reaction. And I remember like people going in and dressing and say, okay, we need blankets. And then like two hours later, okay, stop giving blankets because they have like 20 tons of blankets. Right. You know, like, you know, give some batteries, stop giving batteries. Cause, so everybody was reacting in this, uh, in this, again, in this very highly robotic city. In this very, you know, like human reaction. And this for me was you know, amazing to see, your, see but, that spirit there. But now that we're 10 years past that, yeah. and you living in Europe now, what is, have you seen, is Europe's view of 9-11 and how do they look at it now? Well, to be honest, I think that we, I think that you guys still make too much of fuss of it. To be honest, I think that uh, it should be not like a water under the bridge, but it kind of frame a lot of like today's US mentality. If you look at, at, at like foreign policy, if you look at like, like all, all these kind of uh, anti-liberty laws, especially were, were framed during the Bush administration, I think it, it actually framed you in this kind of ultra-nationalist American discourse, which I think that uh, in, in one hand presents you in, in, in the European eyes, in, or at least in my perspective, you know, as, as, as this kind of um, ultra-nationalist guys, uh, which is actually very close to some of the ultra-nationalists that we have in Europe, uh, with the difference that for me, at least, uh, I mean, for uh, someone who follows politics for, I don't know, 20 years at least, and read about it, you know, all your political fights were, you know, you have some, some gravitas, you know, like some sense. I remember the good Republicans, and now you have the Tea Parties. Yeah, you know, like, and, and, and how did it happen? You know, <laughs> yeah. How is it possible for this little group to host such a nation as they are doing it now? 
you know, and these are people who are creationists, you know, like who believe in the, in, in the physical existence of God and that, and in, 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 in the literal interpretation of the Bible and so on. And these are people who having a lot of power. And I think that part of, 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 of if you like, the birth of, the, of this existence is, of course, during the Bush administration. Yeah? And, uh, and I think that 9-11 played a big role because it framed all this uh, presidency. Well, tell me the difference between Portugal politics and Hungary politics. These days. I mean, yeah, we are, we are that the you've European seen frame. since you've been there. We are in the European frame to start with. So some of the, of, of, of the dimensions are, of course, shared. Right. When you look at the economical and some of the financial decisions and so on, so you have this kind of European umbrella that kind of sets up some of, the, uh, of, um, of where we are, you know, in standing in, in politics. But uh, there are very little differences in that sense. I mean, here in Hungary, which is something that is very, very frightening, I have to tell you, it's extreme right. They have a, a party called Jobbik, for instance, who pulls 15% in the polls and elects, you know, MPs, MEPs and whatnot. Uh, and they are literally uh, neo-Nazis. There's a neo-Nazi party? Neo-Nazis, yes. What do they call themselves? Jobbik. Jobbik. Yes, yes. My friend in Zurich told me that his friends who are Jewish in yeah. Hungary, that there, there is this growing anti-Semitism. It is. It and is. I would say that it's not so much visible in Budapest, in the sense that it's more of a progressive city. Well, it's a city, you know, it's more... You it's know. more urbanized, cosmopolitan, so in the small towns you're multi, seeing multicultural. Uh, well, it's like the Tea Party, you know, and it's, it's a small true, town. True, you know. true, 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 in that sense. But, but here they go aggressive. They have these militias, for instance. They are teaching, you know, like, I don't know, like workshops and how to beat up in, uh, a guy in a pub. Mm-hmm. How to use, like, uh, your boots, you know, and smash yeah. somebody's face, you know, as a self-defense thing. They are actually, you know, like teaching 14 and 15-year-old boys doing this. They are setting, you know, like a Roma people's house into fire and that kind of stuff. Because Roma, the, the gypsies. Roma, the gypsies, exactly. So do you see this... Is this more of a Hungary thing, or do you see this spreading throughout? It's a little spread all around, especially more in Central and Eastern Europe in that sense. Uh-huh. Part of the explanation, of course, is the crisis. Uh, another part of the explanation is the, the lack, if you like, of a coherent uh, integration into the, 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 the right. new European Union. Uh, all these countries have five, six, seven years of European Union integration. So I think you can cross, uh, and some of one, of course, has to do with the lack of uh, urban development in some of these societies as well. But you see this in every country, no matter what, whenever the economy goes bad, mm-hmm. the first one to take the brunt of it yeah. are the immigrants. True. You know, it's the, the first finger is pointed True. at. True, but there's a, if you like, there's a barrier that you cross when you, when you, when you go from an intellectual or the public or the political debate into a physical one. And yeah. here people actually beat you up. And that's a huge difference. You go that's to Serbia, thing. for instance, or you go to the Balkans, and you can still feel a lot of these things as well. And of course, it's an anti-EU, it's an anti-foreigner discourse. Right, right. Of course it is. But nevertheless, the justification for the use of violence, it's something that, it's, for me, it puzzled. And, uh, I mean, we are, you didn't, well, tell all the setup. We are in, my, my house is, is, is by the river. They have what they call Beautiful. It. Beautiful yeah. view of the Danube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at the Danube. And there's this Raka Park. It's like, the, 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 it's like this big, uh, not highway, but it's like the avenue that goes all yeah, around yeah, the river. Yeah. And one of these holidays, I don't remember which one of them, uh, one of these national Hungarian holidays, I remember like I, uh, I, I woke up in the morning, I don't know, 9, 10 a.m. or something like that, and I have like this bunch of, you know, like uniform. Nazi guys marching with flag, the boots, the whole, you know, like military outfit. And mm-hmm. there were, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of them. 
And this is something that is well, very, hundreds of thousands. Very, that's a difference. No, no, hundreds or thousands. Not yeah, which one? Of, no, no, but I will say, I don't know. That's a big difference. Okay, Mike. Okay, I'll tell you. You look know, but I mean, window, you know, there's a few hundred guys. Look at my window. Or just ten thousand guys. That's a big no, difference. From my window, I can only see that they were like parading there. Okay. And they were like, I didn't, I didn't stand like in the window, but they seen a lot, <laughs> okay. and they were, they were sufficiently. Because wise. we get neo-Nazi marches still. You yeah, know, you know, we we get that. But, uh, I mean, they were sufficiently noisy to wake me up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is... Well, they uh, want to wake you up. That's the whole key. Well, yeah, they are loud. That's true. That's true. So tell me, I want to ask you about Hungary, Budapest in particular. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the city and what don't you like about the city? I mean, I think the first thing you, 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 you fall in love with the city, it's the energy that it just, like, gives you. Daily. It's a big city. It's a, what... Two million, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, the inner city, I think it's, it's, it's less than this. It's a fairly, in that sense, I think it's like all the cities. I mean, a lot of people live in the, in the suburbs, of course. A lot of people live in Buda. So if you're closer to the 50s, to the 78, the 13, which is like the more inner city, this is like my, Biliani is, is, is laughing, but this is my perspective. <laughs> I think that especially this kind of a more progressive, like urban, you know, like Budapest, more cosmopolitan, more multicultural and whatnot, you really see that there's like a small elite in that sense because you, you are seeing the same faces in all the bars, in all the clubs, in all the, the places that you hang out in. And um, so in that sense, but I, it's, it's a very energetic and it's a very, I don't say positive, but culturally active city. And I, th- and I love the way that it responds to everything that is around her through this cultural behavior. How much okay. of small town Hungary have you seen? Oh, uh, not, not that much. Not that much, to be honest. I'm an urban guy myself. Yeah. That's why I live here. Me I too. I'm from Lisbon. And for me, uh, I don't see, if you like, uh, space as, uh, as nations or countries. I see as progressive, you know, like cities or progressive societies. So for me, I mean, it's I feel more closer living in Budapest than I would live in a small town in Portugal. Which okay. probably will happen to you the same in the US. You feel more closer from New York going to London or to Berlin or to Budapest than you feel going to, I don't know, like someplace in the middle of Iowa. So if this is a travel podcast, so when people, when I tell people they want to, they should come to Budapest, yeah. what do we need to warn them about and what, what do I tell them well, to, they have to do before they leave? What are the essential things I need? To, I'm here for three days. First so what do I need to see? Okay. First thing I, can, I, 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 I tell people who visit me is that Budapest works all the time. So you can come alone, you can come with your new lover, you can come with your wife, you can come to your, with your wannabe lover, you can come <laughs> with your gay friend, you can come you know, like, with your kids, and it works always. There's two cities differently, which is the summer city and the winter city, right. which is very interesting to see that. So the summer city, it's, it's the outdoors, it's the kerts, and the kerts are these kind of a patios that you have all over yeah, the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a beer uh, garden, almost. Yeah, the kind of a beer garden yeah. stuff, if you like, if you want to put it like that. Uh, and everything. If we like, want to get German with it, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all <laughs> the city, not all disappears, but a lot of them disappears because it goes inside in the winter. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, again, coming from Lisbon, we really don't. Yeah, you're outside all the time. Just like outside yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that's one of the first things I will tell you. So, I mean, the first decision is when you want to come into the city. The winter city or you want to see the summer right. city. That's and I'm in between. I'm coming here and I'm in here in October. Yeah. Which is lovely out. I like this. No, yeah, This yeah. is good city weather. You can walk around. It's not too hot, not too cold. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is one of the first things. And then, I mean, of course, it depends what kind of angles you want to explore. I mean, if you want to go to the museum, city has some good museums as well. Yeah. If you want to look at just the, the, the if you like, the, the architectural landscape, Budapest, it's amazing. 
past is, is unbelievable in that Ooh. sense. It, it's uh, it's a new city uh, again coming from Lisbon. It's a new city. <laughs> Lisbon is a city with I don't know like four thousand years old. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, Budapest was. Well, Budapest uh, is not exactly young. No, but I mean Budapest <laughs> exists. Budapest exists. The first bridge that connected Budapest was actually this bridge that you see here. The, the chain la- bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, chain bridge, exactly, which is Chechen Bridge. Yeah. Because Sechenyi was uh, like a sponsor of the city, let's call it. I don't think he had like an official... How long ago was, was this? This is in 1848. Oh, that late? Yeah. longer than no, that. No, 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 no. So this is what I'm talking about. This is a fairly new city. And then in 1848, this is when the, the, this uh, spring revolutions existed, uh, in the sense that the Hungarians, they rebelled against the Austrians in order to have more autonomy, more nationalism right. rights and that kind of stuff. They, the Hungarians got themselves into the war with the Austrians, that uh, losing and winning, losing and winning, they decided to have this dual monarchy in the 1860s. And so Budapest was the, uh, the second capital of the empire, right. so it was a dual empire. Uh, and then uh, the, 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 from Budapest you were uh, governing all east part of the empire, that goes to Romania, to the Balkans and so on. Yeah. And they were having shitloads of money. <laughs> but shitloads of money. They had so much money that instead of having one parliament, they have the parliament, which is for me the most beautiful parliament in the in the world. Yeah, but it's for huge sure, for sure, huge. But they were so loaded that instead of building three maquettes to choose which parliament they were choosing in building, they built up three real parliaments. <laughs> True. And they, they built, built up, three parliaments. They built three actual parliaments. The oh. first one is the actual parliament, and the yeah. second one it's the it's a museum. And the third one, it's where the, the World Press photo is. And, uh, and the third one, it's what is today the Agriculture Museum. <laughs> so when you are in Kosciut Lajoster, which is the, where the parliament is, you look at the parliament, you look at the two buildings facing the parliament, and they were actually built to serve as parliaments. But then they chose the other one. So this is how loaded they were. And this is, explains a little bit, if you like, how rich the city is in terms of its architecture. Yeah. So the whole city is built up with that amount of money, in a sense. And I'll give you more thing. They were so rich that the, the, the first designs, they have this, what they call the koruts, which is like this kind of a circular, you know, like avenues around the city. They wanted to build that as a canal. They wanted to build that like Venice, like yeah. canals and connecting to the river and so <laughs> on and so forth. Yeah, so this is like one of the first things to come and see and explore. It is kind of a Parisian, if you like. Yeah. People who identify a lot of Paris here. Actually, some of the movies, you know, like uh, they, when they shot the Paris scenes, they shoot probably, them here? They, they shoot them here. Yeah, oh, Munich, okay. Munich, for instance, was shot in a friend of mine's place. <laughs> yeah, 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 just, just, just nearby. So, so this is one of these, uh, the these beautiful things to come and see in Budapest. This and is, I noticed the, the the prices are much friendlier here than most of Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is another. <laughs> this is another. Of, 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 again, it depends where you're coming from. If you come with euros or even with dollars, I think you will be like very, very surprised. Tell me about the ruined pubs. I've heard about this. The yeah. ruined pubs. These are basically abandoned buildings yeah. that uh, people just decide to go into and open up a, a bar. I, I think that, uh, that, that, that's like, well, I'm not saying it's an urban myth in the sense that it existed, I think, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago. But most of them now are like, yeah, most of them now are, are legalized as well. So yeah. they have a legal, you know, like, you know, like a status on them as well. But they actually take... Uh, not the building, they take the whole, you know, like, uh, block. So they block. Like yeah. a whole block? Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, for uh-huh. instance, Fogashas, which is one of the very cool ones as well. I remember being there some, one time with a friend, and she was like, oh, you know what? Where are we having drinks? It used to be my living room. <laughs> so it, it's literally like people's houses. 
it used to be like people's house right, like, right, 30 right. years ago and there they take it off a lot of them they have this kind of a multi uh, cultural or if like multiplex almost like approach so for instance you go to Winstant or you go to Wodker um, and for instance the top floors are hostels as well uh, in Fogashas the top floors are uh, cultural associations so they have artists they have ateliers there they have that kind of stuff and so does no one own the buildings I mean does the city own the buildings or who, who owns these buildings I mean it depends I mean for instance I, 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 I'll tell you another example uh, they, they, they just closed it down recently which was a Tuzrak there Tuzrak there was a ancient public school uh, which was an, an unbelievable place also in the city I mean culturally I mean very very active and again you know, like getting together artists from different companies and so on and so forth and so the city decided to sell that to a private condominium and they yeah. were kicked out they actually are going to open now in the Buddha side I think no? uh, so I mean yeah there is uh, this conflict between this kind of a private propriety and just like the spotting you know like the room pubs that you were yeah. saying but some of them, I think the simplest are the most well-known, I think that they have a license these days. You know, Fogashas, I think they're still trying to work with that. Yeah, they have this problem sometimes with, uh, with the neighbors complaining. So they are still working their way on it. But, uh, but yeah, in these days, they are all licensed. So they are not like illegal or this kind of a marginal thing. So this, this is, of course, like it, it, it's right. the, the start. Uh, maybe in the, in the start they were doing that, especially in the transition period where everything was a little dodgy in that sense. But now things have settled down, but the Herbert myth, you know, like stay. Right. And I think some of these bars have still a lot of this mystique, if you like. Simpler. It's very nice for an American to go and see. <laughs> I have to go to one before I leave. You have to go to Simple. It's really a cool <laughs> place, uh, especially during the day, for instance. Another of the particularities of the pubs in Budapest is they are like open almost, not, not say 24 hours, but they you can go and have tea at 2 p.m. or have something to eat because some of these bars actually have food and it's good food sometimes <laughs> uh, and you can leave there at 4 o'clock in the morning totally trashed you know like after that, <laughs> you know and you can come the next day at 10 again and it's right, right, and right. you can like have coffee <laughs> you know? so I know politics is your thing and just briefly because I don't get too heavy into politics but the big news here while I'm here is all about the EU collapsing where do you see Hungary's place in it and where do you think it's going? Hungary in its sense I mean I don't think that you can look at European Union from a national perspective these days so in that sense I mean what a country a determined country does it's well you come from well, well you say you come from Portugal is one of those countries that they've it's talked about is going to the be problem is that in European Union these days we live in this kind of a complex is that we are living in a quasi-federal state but everybody else is trying to behave that we still live in the nation states which is not true because again you give examples as Portugal you give examples as Greece there's Ireland, Ireland there's Greece and whatnot. yeah I mean in, in a lot of the European you know, like Union like some of our if you like um, if, uh, dimensions of politics that you consider national like financial, like economics, like agriculture. These are all set up in design in Brussels. You know, in Portugal we had this election uh, this year that our economical and financial program before the election was already signed in Brussels. So this means that we are, we are not, if you like, um, with all the full elements of, of, of governance these days in Europe. So you feel like the, the EU has more power over Portugal than Portuguese... Which I think it's good. ...government. The problem is that good. The, the political actors, they think that they still have, if you like, uh, they are still in control of the national de destinies of each nation. And it's not true, because some of, we have been delegated in the European process, some of these powers, into the European uh, process in itself. You see? 
But the problem is that because of this crisis, you have in the recent years, you know, like it's kind of a more nationalist discourse. It's kind of a more populist discourse, which, of course, in terms of crisis, as we've been talking before, you know, like puts people, you know, like facing the other, the foreigner, the strange, the, the, the yeah. kind of stuff, you know, which is a very comfortable discourse because people are assuming that getting out of Europe, they will be better off. And it's not true. They will not be better off. Because what we have been, you know, like able to, to reach and to and to achieve in the last 20 years of European Union, it's unbelievable. You know, I have the opportunity to be here and living here. I, I, I would, that, that, that would not be possible 20 years ago. You have the opportunity of creating, if you like, this kind of, uh, from the Erasmus perspective, you know, like people, you know, like traveling, you know, like knowing the world, you know, like the Eurozone, for instance, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. I can, with my Euro, I can travel all over, you know, like the Eurozone and not changing money. As part of the year, well, I mean, it's yes, it's made traveling very easy. Yeah. Until I got here, and then I have to get foreign. Exactly. And get Corona. But then again, we are, the we are talking about we're talking about this kind of the new, the new Europe, which is yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Europe that was like the recently enlarged, you know, like to the central and eastern part of Europe. But yeah. I mean, I, I look at it. I just don't know what the wealthier nations, say Germany or the Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries, have to gain by. Aligning with the smaller, yeah. poorer nations, yeah. the Portugal, the Ireland, the, yeah. the Slovakia, or whatever you know, whatever it is. But it's the same debate as some. I don't know what they have to gain other than labor. But it's the same debate that you have. Is it about free trade? It's what the is the same it? debate that you have in the U.S. Yeah, they, they passed NAFTA and, and that whole no, thing. No, no, even inside the U.S., of course, you have like states who have like a, if like a, a, a domestic growth. Oh yeah, we have to carry Alabama, and yeah, exactly. Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's the same thing. Or you have it in Spain, for instance. One of the things that in Spain you have like this debate about the uh, autonomic regions is that it's because Catalonia and the Basque country are playing for Andalusia and, and, and from Galicia. And it's the same thing. What you have to have is some idea that's a, yeah. But the, the, the difference is these are deep ingrained things. I mean, we were we're only a couple hundred years old. I mean, yeah. you're, you're thousands of years old. Yeah. These are deep ingrained, you know, reasons yeah. to not trust. Yeah, Germany yeah. or whatever and it is. is. So <laughs> easy, and this is why it's so easy, you know, like to feed this populist, you know, ultra-nationalist discourse to uh, European right. population. And this is why right-wing is winning all over. This is why, like, extreme right is getting, you know, like uh, the 15% that we were talking about here in, in, in Hungary or in other cases in other countries as well. This is one of these characteristics because we haven't been able, and I think this is a blame for all the European politicians, we haven't been able to create this, this uber-identity which is like we are all Europeans. And you know, like, you know what? Getting Greece inside, it's better for all of us. Because we are better together than we are separated. Mm -hmm. But this is my discourse. I've been, like, trying to pitch this for, for some time now. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's not trendy. It's not, uh, it's, it's not what people are saying. People are saying, let's get out of Europe. Let's not get in. Let's not get out. Let's get out. And that kind of stuff. And I think people are making a huge mistake. Because, you know, like, if, if you close Europe again in all these little countries, which, by the way, they don't exist. Half of them were created, you know, yeah. like they were created by, you know, like nationalist intellectuals in the 19th century and by right. politics or war, <laughs> you know, so, so what why Iraq say, was created. Iraq probably shouldn't exist, you know. No, Iraq, Iraq actually should be like five countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's another idea. At least three. Yeah, 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 yeah. at least three, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of thing, you know, but people, they don't have this information. And you go like for Hungary, for instance, a very good example, because Hungary after Trianon, after the, this, this, this treaty, after the First World War in 1919, 1920, they lost like two, two thirds of their country and half of their population. Yeah. You still have like natural Hungarian people living in Transylvania and in parts of the, the, the what is now the Slovak Republic, in Slovenia, in Austria and so on. 
but they were kept aside because of politics, because of they lost the war, and you know, like the Romanian army, because of Pennsylvania, just actually they invaded Budapest, uh, and so they never withdraw from the Transylvania part. And still today, you know, like you have like six or seventy percent of the population in that region that it's Hungarian. Their parents are Hungarian. They only speak Hungarian. They don't speak Romanian as well, as well, <laughs> at all. But technically, they are Romanian for almost uh, eighty years. So tell them that they are Romanian. They will say, "No, I'm Hungarian." So then again, it's how what the perception that you have or not to have. And the beauty for me of the European construction is that you can create this kind of a super ident- collective identity that puts everybody together in the same frame. And find out that, you know what, what connects me for people from Budapest, you know, this, this progressive society thing that I was telling you about, makes for me more sense than just look at from the nationalist perspective. Which is something that when you look at in more detail, it doesn't make sense as well. Because again, in, you, you go to Portugal to again to shift examples. You know, you go to Portugal and you, the division in the Iberian Peninsula is not between Portugal and Spain; it's between north and south. So a guy from the south, south of Portugal is more, which is Alentejo, it's more close to a guy from Andalusia than he is from. Really, the guy you from think Italy. it's not the difference between Portugal and no, Spain? It's, it's more no, 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 it's not. northern and no, no, southern. Totally, totally, yeah. And you can see that in the in the music, in the in the in the food, in the culture, in everything. The south is more, and the, the north is Celt. Right. Totally. Okay, you take the Basques out of that. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah okay. Another thing. Yeah, yeah, but this is a difference. A guy oh. from Eminotu, which is the north of Portugal, is totally the same as a Gallego, which is the north of Spain. And they are going to the south of Portugal and they are both lost. <laughs> because it doesn't connect. Right. You know? Yeah. There's still a language difference, though, and stuff. That... Even then, sometimes. <laughs> because actually, a Gallego, no, I was telling you, these Hungarian people that live in Transylvania, they don't speak Romanian. Uh-huh. They don't. They go to school and they have these Romanian classes and they're just like, and they go home, they speak Hungarian, they write Hungarian, they read Hungarian, they look at the TV <laughs> in Hungarian. It's true. I mean, Billy is here and she, she, she can vouch for this. It's true. These people don't feel, they don't share a, a Romanian identity, which is perfectly normal because they were never Romanian. Yeah, and that you have like a really big, you know, like huge language barrier in that sense because you go from the Latin, which is like the Romanian, and you go to else something else, which is the, the Hungarian. Well, finally, if you were a gambling man, yeah, where where do uh-huh. you see where do you see Hungary and the EU headed in the next say five years? Well, I don't know. I think you can actually have two options. Well, I'm I'm, I'm a left wing guy myself, so I'm a Democrat, right. you know, to put it this in the in the American. Job. I think you're farther than that. I mean, well, it, yeah, because of the Democrat definition, you know, it's yeah. a liberal in that sense. Yeah. I'm a Bill Maurer guy. In that okay. Sense, yeah. But it's pro, is actually a for, you know, like that penalty, and I'm not, but that's another thing. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that uh, we're going to have, a, the, for me, the, the next decisive moment is going to be 2014, which is when the next European election is going to be held. And this is where you're going to choose the next European government. And if you manage to put a left-wing progressive, uh, if you like, governing Europe, I think that we can have a shot. If we are still, you know, like making this kind of ultra-liberalism, you know, like populism discourse, I think that we are having a really, really hard time to put things together, in that sense. But then, of course, saying this, I'm saying something that will contradict me, it also depends on two other elections. It's going to be like next year, which is the German elections and the French elections. So Sarkozy, if he leaves, like the, the uh, with I think hopefully Martin Aubry will win uh, the, the French primaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we turn left in France and if we turn left with the SPD in Germany, I think that uh, in that sense, and if the left wing, you know, like the progressive, you know, like social democrat, you know, parties in Europe, can put forward a coherent, alternative, and, and consistent discourse, which we haven't been doing it so far, 
I think that we can have a shot. Like we had a shot in you, if 10 years ago you were coming to Europe, most of the, the European countries were left-wing governments. Yeah. And you can actually see that everything was much more chilled out. <laughs> you know, we're putting money where we should put, you know, like no people would never body was like this kind of ultra obsession with the deficit and so on. And we were actually looking at people first and not numbers. Mm -hmm. But this is politics. And it's up to us, European, you know, like population and people who are engaged, you know, like to be a part of change. And I mean, you're coming from the US, so you just like witness this, this, this huge example, which was the Obama election in 2008. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's up to us to make that difference. And I, hopefully in 2014, in, in, in 2012, and in, in 14, I mean, uh, I hope that we'll have the shot to change this into another, another direction. What's the biggest misconception you think visitors have about Hungary when they come here? Like, what, they, what do they think it's going to be, and then hmm. what are they surprised about? I think that they'll probably think that this is like this kind of a Eastern European... Yeah, like, like old uh, Soviet... Yeah. Underdeveloped Soviet bloc kind of stuff. Yeah, this is like any big city that, I, that I've been in. this is totally Berlin. It is. It, it just... Because I just was there last week, so... It's kind of Berlin meets Paris. Yeah. The landscape is Paris. The urban landscape is Paris. <laughs> so it's that chill out. And it's really funny because even people in, in, in Europe, they don't find out too much about Budapest. I was, recently I was in Vienna, which is two hours away, and I was chilling out with some guys, and I was like, okay, so you came from Budapest. You know Budapest? Well, no. How can you never went to Budapest? <laughs> go for a concert, you know, like go for a show. You know, they have like amazing shows. They have an amazing opera here. You know, like they have cultural things happening like literally every day. Even yesterday I was talking to Billy, you know, like we can't keep up. We can't keep up because there are things going around every single day. You know, like, and even when the, when the, and this is what, what for me it's more fascinating about the city, even when with all the cuts in culture, you know, like the government is cutting, you know, like you know, this kind of a subsidized thing, you know, they're cutting the budget, they're cutting the money, people react culturally. They're having this kind of, uh, you know, like a house theater place. So they come and they have like these big houses, which is not the case of mine, although it's a good place, but they have this kind of, you know, like these old, you know, like apartments and they have plays there. Do you think yeah. some of that is f from being repressed? For so long, in terms of the arts, that now that, that once it finally opened up, they were just ready to. I mean, I think Hungarian, you know, like society in that sense, especially Budapest, uh, because it's a city that I know best. I think it also always has this, this this tradition of attracting culture, intellectuals, and so on. Budapest was one of the centers of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. I was saying it was the first point. Everybody wanted to go from the Balkans, from everywhere else. Everybody wanted to go to Budapest. Budapest produced intellectuals, writers, poets, musicians, you know, like, uh, um, you say, it, inventors and all this kind of stuff. People were coming here to produce knowledge, to produce culture, to produce, to produce music, to produce, uh, you know, all of this. Uh, and in that sense, I think you can almost listen to the music of the city as you walk around, you know, like in the different neighborhoods, you know. And you, when you go to the more poor areas, you can actually you know, almost feel this kind of a red you know, like urban, you know, like working class, you know, like organizing, you know, like hardcore 19th century, you know, like the, you know, like society. When you come in more into this kind of a more posh part where we are now in the 50th street, you can almost see and, and hear, you know, like the music, the leads, you know, like in all that, in the poems and in and, 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 and all of that. So I think this is something that the city always had and you still feel that. And I think this is one of the ways that the city has to react to adversity is exactly through the culture. You know, like into cultural production, into all of that. You know, like it's this energy that you can really feel. You know? And this is what I love being here. One of the reasons, yeah.
Jose, it's been a pleasure. Well, it's been my pleasure. Give me a toast. What is it? Egeshegere. Egeshegere. Yeah. Yes, I'm a traveling man.